right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, the visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I am so excited to be talking to Andy Sparks, who is the co-founder of Holloway. Andy, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks for having me here. It's going great. Fantastic. I am so excited to be talking to you because when I first saw Holloway on Twitter, you know, whatever it was, I'm like, this is a genius idea and I, I'm very intrigued to see how it grows. But before we talk about that, there's a lot of people listening that don't even know what Holloway is yet. So can you give the audience an idea of what you're working on with Holloway? I would love to. So Holloway is a new publishing and technology company and we're devoted to building a new way to read books on the internet. So in our vision, books will be a little different once they're online and some people tilt their head and they go, what do you mean? Books are definitely on the internet. I can already buy stuff through Kindle. But what we believe is that you should be able to read a book on the web. And the way that would look would be like reading Harry Potter on a website, like harrypotter.com slash chamber of secrets slash chapter four instead of having to go to Kindle and buy it and download it on a device, you should just be able to read it in a browser. And so we're starting not with fiction like Harry Potter, but instead with professional reference. And the reason why we're doing that is we think it's where we can be the most helpful. And also it's what people go to Google looking for. And so when content is published on a web page, when you type in how to start a business, you should be able to get the results and content of a book on how to start a business, not just articles on websites like entrepreneur.com, et cetera. Uh, so the whole idea here is that we believe that books contain in-depth research, professional writing, editing, fact-checking, and a lot more than you don't just get from articles and magazines and newspapers that we think should be accessible and discoverable from the tool that everyone uses to look for stuff, Google. So that's awesome. and. Uh... And again, as I said, when I first discovered this, I, my mind was blown. As a writer myself, I was super intrigued in what's going on with what you're working on. Something I'm curious about is how does it actually get made? So with, with a, a standard book, you have an author. They, they might have a researcher, but they, they just write. You know, I've never written a book, so I actually don't know. But I'm, a, I'm guessing they just, they just write from their brain onto a paper, you know, and then they, and then it gets published as a book. I'm curious, like, how does the publishing process go from ideation, um, from how you decide what to write on, to how does it go through the process to then publication and then promotion? Yeah, so the, the first step in our big vision for publishing books on the internet is to publish a few of our own, right? To just prove that if you publish something that is book length on the web, that people will both find it and buy it. And so the first kind of type of content we've decided to do is what we call a Holloway guide. And a Holloway guide is usually a you know, 100 plus page document that is uh, on a single subject. We've done equity compensation, raising venture capital, technical recruiting and hiring, and next up is remote work. And the way that we do these is we outline what we think should be in the guide. Right, so just like you would when you're writing a big college paper, you put together everything you think should be in it, you get a rough structure, you show it to a few people who know what they're talking about and say, hey, what do you think of the outline? Is there anything you missed? Is there anything you think we should really have in here? And then once we have the outline, um, the first couple that we wrote, we 
pretty much found one or two authors to write the majority of the content of the outline. And they would write a draft and then we have an editor or a couple editors on staff that'll work with that content. They'll give the, the writer feedback on the structure and the content and how we're telling the story. And we have our own set of editorial guidelines on how to make the content super practical and actionable. So it's not just a bunch of abstract theory. Um, but going forward, we've learned a lot about publishing and, and um, you can either be very author centric or you can be very editor centric. And so author centric is just saying, hey, you know, author Jane Doe, you know what you're talking about. So why don't you know you go write your content in a Google Doc and then we'll edit it and make sure that it's, you know, well written and it's got a good structure and there's not a bunch of grammar mistakes. And then we'll just publish it as is. Uh, that's not what we've done so far. We haven't done as much of that. We've done more of an editor centric model where we have someone who's an editor here at Holloway who um, really is in charge of putting together the outline and then finding people to go write all the different parts of it. Uh, and then the editor kind of acts as like a product manager for the content itself. So there's multiple ways to do this. So far we've done these very comprehensive guides where we pull together like 50 or 60 people. So it's not just one perspective because we wanted to showcase the most comprehensive, helpful type of book length content online that we could make to show people what's possible. That makes a lot of sense. And I think the, the fact that you get all those perspectives is, is, is fantastic. Um, something I didn't know about when I first discovered Holloway is that you, the, the plan was to do some of your, do some of your own to start, but I, I'm curious and which is what you've done, but do you have a plan to enable Holloway to be kind of like, a platform where people can write their own books in the future? I guess looking forward, I, I usually ask this a little later, but it's kind of top of mind. Like, um, what, where do you see the platform of Holloway playing in the next 10 years uh, as, a, as a, in the book writing publishing space? Yeah, so one of the next things we want to start experimenting with is start publishing other authors in a certain type of content. So the type of content we're really excited about just to focus our audience is content that is helpful to employees of fast growing companies. So there's a lot of stuff out there that's focused on uh, founders, which most companies have one, two, maybe three founders. And most everyone else who works at a company is an employee and they're trying to navigate how to create a successful career. They're trying to figure out how to help be a part of building a successful company. And we want to publish content that makes that easier. Um, we think it's an audience that's going to be willing to pay for content. But there's a lot of people, whether they've written, you know, or they have a draft of a book in a Google Doc on sales or product management or marketing or some offset of any of those things. We want to start to talk to those authors and see if there's a way that we can begin publishing them on Holloway here uh, in, in 2020. That's very exciting. Uh, I'd love to hear a little more about the reading experience on, on Holloway because um, I've seen this on your website, and you also mentioned it just now. Um, anyone can, you know, get an ebook of a, of a book and read it on, you know, on the internet. But it's it's not super easy or fun. It's not natural. Can you, and you're trying to build kind of internet first. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's like to read a book on Holloway and what the experience is like? Absolutely. So when we started Holloway, we we love reading. We also love print books. Um, and we looked at what Kindle has, whether it's on their native apps or on Kindle, 
or whether it's even in their browser-based reader, which in my opinion is atrocious. <laughs> and, and we just kind of tilted our heads up and we're like, what's going on here? I mean, if you go look at all these print books, there's, they're beautiful. And then everything's just kind of translated to this stripped down version of what you get on Kindle. It just really takes a lot of the soul out of a book. So we spent a lot of time on the basics up front, just choosing great typefaces and making sure that the layout of the content was clean. So you can do a distraction-free reading mode, which pulls the table of contents away to the side. Um, we've got a table of contents that makes things super navigable. It's kind of like a basic of reading. And then we've invested a lot in search, especially for professional reference. We think that search is something that can be super powerful when you're just trying to navigate a several hundred page document and you're trying to get to what you want to get to. So our search is really powerful. Uh, we've also put in all these cool little interactive things um, which really get into the medium of reading digitally. So paper has limitations. <laughs> you can't do a hyperlink in paper very effectively. But once you have something published digitally, then you should just be able to click out to something really easily. Not only that, we've done kind of a preview before you click so you can get some context. We've also done something really fun with definitions of terms, where if you're publishing digitally again, there's a lot more that you can do where print has limitations, where when you publish digitally in a book, there's a lot of terms that need to get defined, you need context. And one choice you could make is, well, you're just gonna rely on a dictionary. You can hover over it and you can go to dictionary.com. Or we could write kind of a custom glossary for all the major terms that are, uh, that are being covered in the books. These are all a bunch of different things that we wanted to do in order to showcase to other authors the different things you can do once you're publishing digitally first. So that's one of the things that we've done. And then we also made a decision early on that we, we won't put ads on it. So much of the web is text with some ad on it because the company's making money off of advertising. And we thought that advertising inherently creates the wrong incentive for us as a, as a company because if we put ads on the site that our customer becomes the companies who are trying to advertise. And what we wanted to do was build a reading experience that was so good and content that was so good that people would be willing to pay for it. Uh, and we feel like that aligns our interests with the reader's interests. Because if we don't build something that's so good or worth paying for, then obviously we just, we haven't created something good enough yet. And so we'd rather build a, an entire company and build the incentives into the company so that we have the feedback from readers that what we're doing is something that's really great as opposed to just putting ads on it and creating, you know, making a bunch of money from day one by selling people's information or, or something like that. So it's a super clean, crisp experience. Uh, we plan in 2020 to add things like highlighting and some of the more basics that you would expect to get up to parity and pass by everything that you would, that you would see in, in a Kindle type product and hopefully get into a lot more interesting things as we go on because we feel like reading a, a book length document on the web should, should and can be so much more interesting than, than what it is that Kindle served up that everyone's pretty much accepted by this point because Kindle has what is a de facto monopoly on, on book publishing and no competition. This is fascinating. Something that I, it's kind of two realms I want to travel down, one being the next decade of the internet and how ads aren't, in my opinion, and it seems like in yours too, ads, you know, are probably not going to be the prevalent way people make money. It's going to be charging for value, kind of like what you're doing. And the second realm I want to explore is this realm of like, what is an author, like, like if, if Holloway grows to be, you know, a giant company, 
and you know you're getting thousands or you know tens of thousands of books eventually being published on on Holloway. What is how does that change life for an author, and what does an author look like? But I want to start with the former. So, so what do you do? You notice any trends or changes in the macro economics of kind of internet companies of people shifting away? from from ads and it being more creator centric and that's kind of a leading question i'll admit but i'm kind of leading to like i'm curious does holloway kind of play in this creator sphere or as a16z would say like the passion economy how do you think about all that stuff yeah that's a good question so first to address the idea of advertising as much as I would love for advertising to go away on the internet, I don't, I don't think that it will. There are too many legacy media companies that are run by people who built entire careers around monetizing content through advertising, and they've frankly just gotten too good at it. Uh, I think if anything really changes in advertising, it'll just be a change in control over who owns the pipes. Um, and there's also the other side of advertising. It's very easy to, to criticize advertising, as I'm no stranger to doing. But a lot of businesses, small businesses, large businesses, you know, people who are trying to manipulate you to vote a certain way, but also people that are just trying to get you to buy their new product. There's, there's a lot of companies that depend on advertising to get off the ground. Uh, and that's the other side that if you, if you talk to a lot of business owners, it's like, you know, as much as I hate Facebook, we advertise on Facebook right now. <laughs> and I kind of hate myself for doing that. But to a degree, it really works. And so you kind of make this bargain with the devil. So I don't think advertising will go away as much as I would like it to. Now to your next question or your next point about the, the passion economy, a term I read yesterday for the first time that I hadn't seen was the luxury internet. And the luxury internet is kind of this term for all of the places you can go on the web and pay extra money to get a premium product. Now, the cool thing about that is that it inlines incentives, it uh, creates, I think, a better structure for businesses to make sure that they're building products that people actually want. And uh, the other thing about it, though, is how many subscriptions can each one of us really tolerate? And by tolerate, I mean, how much can we really afford? Can you afford a subscription to six or seven different streaming digital video services? Can you afford... Uh, six, seven, ten different subscriptions to Wired and Business Insider and the New York Times and the Washington Post and, you know, everybody else. And then also for education, are you going to subscribe to Masterclass and Holloway and Coursera? And, you know, suddenly you start to look at the amount of spend from everything from Spotify to the tools you have at work to all these different media companies. And you start to realize this is, this is adding up. And so everything on the Internet has to be paid for. I don't think that that's the solution either because people can really, I mean, there's a, there's a thin amount of budget, right? And it's, I don't know what the solution is. It's kind of like past the, the horizon for me of where we go. What's this next phase post subscription internet? Because I think that what we're going to come to is a little bit of a reckoning where, you know, everything's got a subscription and you're like, you know, I just don't have room in my budget for another subscription. On the other hand, I do think that it's, it's, it's fair and it's competitive, so people have to make choices of what they want to subscribe to because you can't get everything for free. And I think that's also part of the reckoning is that the initial explosion of, of the internet that we all got used to growing up was 
that you could get anything for free and it was so awesome. But ultimately providing all this stuff for free, I mean, there's people that are working behind most of these companies and they've got to find a way to get paid. And the way that you get paid is that you sell a product that people buy. And that's kind of how you know, selling goods and services has worked for time immemorial. And now on the internet, we're just getting used to that. I don't know if that answers your full question. I think it's a very valuable response and one that makes me appreciate this show so much because this founders of companies are founders for a reason. They bring different perspectives and very intelligent, thoughtful perspectives that like I have never thought of. And I think what you just mentioned is, is super thoughtful. And I uh, will kind of, I want to like marinate on that over the next couple of days. I think <laughs> great. Yeah. I, so I appreciate that. So n- now I, I can't get past this thought in my head of what does it look like to be an author or, or a writer uh, in, you know, say, let's say on Holloway. And I'm going to use like kind of my, myself as a case study. Cause it's like a, cause I, I think I like, I might be a good one. Like I, I've been a writer, like blah, blogger since 2015, like writing topics, uh, writing. I've never actually gotten like much distribution. My, my like, you know, I probably get like a thousand, few thousand hits a month on medium or something. And there's like, dozens, uh, not just dozens, there's probably thousands of other people uh, that love writing, but they haven't been able to find that distribution or they haven't really cared. They haven't really like tried to push it so much to get that distribution. I'm curious, is Holloway a product for people like that or is a product for people that are already like kind of authors and they want distribution on the internet? Or I guess like, what is the, what is the standard first author look like? on Holloway, if you have to paint a persona, uh, you know, their background, what they do, because I just think it's interesting as a writer myself. Yeah, it's a good question. So one of the metaphors that we really like to think about a lot is that prior to the internet, you'd walk into a library if you wanted to get some kind of knowledge. And inside of a library, there are all kinds of different, call them knowledge products. There's a magazine, there's a newspaper, and there's all kinds of different books. There's textbooks, there's biographies, there's encyclopedias, there's dictionaries, there's comics, you name it, right? Our belief is that each one of these knowledge products is or needs a full digital transformation, right? And some of these are more obvious and they've already happened. Wikipedia is the, is the transformation of the encyclopedia. Medium has done a great job of going after you know, expanding the market of who can write in a magazine. Each one of their vertical publications is essentially a digital magazine. Same thing that you see with Wired. The New York Times has done an excellent job of transforming what it means to be a newspaper on the internet. And the type of writing that you do for each one of these different products is very different. Writing for a newspaper, being a journalist, is very different from writing features for The New Yorker. It's just a different type of writing. Uh, Another type of writing is when you decide that you want to write a book. I mean, writing a book is an endeavor because especially with nonfiction, you're saying, look, I've been through a lot. I've seen a lot. I know how to do something. There's some idea that I want to share with the world that is complex. It's comprehensive. It's complicated. And it needs, it it can't be explained in a thousand or 1500 word medium post because it's just, there's just too much going on, right? So if you were just getting started in a, in a career, whether you switched careers or you just finished up high school or college and you're interested in marketing, you can't just learn marketing by reading 
you know, blog post after blog post after blog post, because you don't even really know what you're looking for. But when someone who's really experienced puts together a really well-structured, tied-together, 300-page book on marketing, you can, you can learn a lot at once because it's all put in the right order and, and really assembled in a way that's meant to be learned from, in a way that the type of writing that you publish on blogs or in magazines or newspapers, it's just, it's just a different purpose for that type of content. So what Holloway is that we're really excited for is that people who've decided that they want to write a book, say if you decided that you wanted to write a book on how to be a podcaster and you've been working on that, maybe you have an editor, maybe you don't have an editor, but you, you believe that you've got a lot of knowledge to share that's really consolidated and you put it together in a Google Doc. We want to be able to say, hey, if you're somebody who's thinking of publishing that thing, whether it's on Kindle or publishing it on your own website, we'd love to talk to you about how we can help you with that. And one of the reasons why is that we take the content. There's two ways to read a Holloway guide right now and what we imagine that people will read any type of uh, book on Holloway. The first way is that you can read it all in one page, just like a single scroll like you would read an article, except it's a hell of a lot longer. The second way that you can read Holloway guides is you can actually read them one section at a time. So if you Google, uh, we have th the first example is if you read our guide on equity compensation, which is totally free. You can just Google the Holloway Guide to Equity Compensation. You'll be able to read it top to bottom on one page. But you can also Google things like taxes on equity compensation, which is one chapter of our guide on that, on that subject. And the first thing that shows up is our guide on, on equity compensation. But it's not the full thing. It's just the part that's actually on that subject. So when people are typing in questions that are, re that are relevant to the content of the book, they start to find it in all these pages. And so what we can offer an author is to say, hey, inside of your book, which the reason why books exist is because you just need to pull a bunch of information together in one place in order to be really helpful. Are inside of that book are the answers to hundreds of questions. And when those books are published inside of an ecosystem like Kindle, Google can't, they can't, even see the content of those books. And so when someone's looking for an answer, let's say you write a book on how to start a company, maybe how to start a company, chapter two is about incorporation. So how should I incorporate my company? And you've probably written 20 paragraphs on how you should incorporate a company, but when someone types into Google, how do I incorporate my company? They don't find your chapter in the way that books are currently published. But with us, they'd be able to find that. And so you'd be able to get traffic from that from the search engines and you'd be able to get more readers in that way. And then we could give some of the content away for free and then we could also put up a paywall and say, hey, now that you've read you know, an entire chapter, it's time that you pay for the book. And we think that that's a new, really exciting way for authors to be able to uh, find an audience, not just because they're Seth Godin and they have a huge following on Twitter and every time they publish something, people are gonna read it no matter what, but if you're an aspiring up and coming author, one of the cool things about Google is that if the content is really good, it's gonna show up at the top of search results and you're gonna be able to find people that come to it just by nature of the content being very good. And that's what we've seen from different bloggers and people that write content that shows up in search in that way. Content marketing is all built around this. But we think that anyone who's writing a book is putting a ton of effort into writing something really high quality that they believe will be very helpful. And they've got a editor and a, proofread, a proofreader and all these different people that come in to make sure the content is great. But then it's just not being published on the web, which is crazy. It's like, it's like there's this entire industry built up around publishing knowledge 
that's deciding not to take advantage of the fact that the internet exists. So in short, we're for people who are interested in writing books. So if you're interested in writing a book, then we'd be interested in working with you. That's awesome. I, I think it's seriously one of the coolest companies I've ever talked to, probably because I love, I love writing and I love the empowerment of individuals to, um, I, to become like the you Inc. Uh, there's this, there's this, uh, it's the same lines of passion economy, but just enabling people with a skill to, uh, in this case, writing to kind of create a book otherwise in a situation where they may not be able to get distribution. I think it's cool. Um, I have a question that is very unrelated to what we've been talking about, but been on my mind since since we've been talking. Might take you off guard, but like you speak very, you're a very good speaker. Uh, I don't know what it is about how you communicate, but I feel like you, you talk like a CEO should talk, um, <laughs> which is calm and like thoughtful and and just you just it seems like you're very collected. I'd love to know. Have you always been such a good public speaker or, or just speaker in general? And if not, did you have to make any changes as you've gone on your professional career? If you don't mind me asking, I'm totally left field, but I didn't want to ask. Oh man, I don't know if anyone's ever told me that before. Um, it's definitely something that I've worked on. Uh, I think that as a writer, I spend a lot of time considering what I'm going to say. Um, but also as a founder of companies, this is now Holloway is technically my fourth company. The first was a microbrewery I started in college. So it's not like these were big, successful endeavors. But when you start companies or when you're a founder or you're a leader of any kind, whether it's a student organization or a company, you find yourself spending a lot of time talking with people and trying to express ideas and communicate. And saying the wrong thing often has pretty significant costs because you either have to correct yourself or someone thinks you meant something else. And something I've thought a lot about, as far as public speaking, one of my favorite tips that I ever got was when I had started my second company and we're doing a demo day for the accelerator we were in. And the one of the guys that ran the accelerator told me one of the best tips of all time was, if it doesn't feel awkward to you, you're talking too fast. And anytime that you find yourself saying um or saying so or some kind of filler word, just pause and take a breath. I think Barack Obama is really good at this in his speech where you, you'll just pause instead of saying um, and it sounds very collected, but he's just trying to get past the filler. And so these are things, sometimes when I listen or when I do a podcast, I'll go back and I'll listen to it and see if there's anything that I wanna fix or change. But yeah, it's something that I have worked at, I guess, somewhat consciously. And when most of your job is as a leader in a company, sitting there in meetings, talking to people, it's something that I guess you tend to just do a lot of. <laughs> um, but I don't know if I have much better of an answer for you other than if it's something that you've decided that you want to be good at. I think communication is incredibly important. Most of our lives that are spent working with other people. And so getting better at being a good communicator is something that I've definitely made a priority in my life. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that's super rewarding of an answer, but I hope it's helpful. Oh, it is. I mean, especially for me, I definitely, 
struggle a little bit with public speaking and just speaking in general, usually when it comes to speed. And uh, you think that because I'm a podcast host, it would just solve the problem. But you're right. You solve the problem when you decide to solve the problem. And I am better than I, I used to be, but I just... As you were talking, it, I just noticed that you're very intentional with your words, and I wanted to point out and get some tips. And you gave some good ones, so thank you. So okay. I do love this. Sorry to interrupt you. I do love this idea of I'm I'm so not a, a an athlete, but I love the metaphor from from I guess I think football where people you know you go and watch the tape to see how you can get better. And I'm not. There's not so many. And you can't go watch the tape of every meeting that you're in to find out how you could have ran the meeting better. But when you're podcasting or you're on video or you're giving a talk publicly, you can usually go watch it or you can listen to it and you can pick out a few things that you wish you could get better at. And instead of being a jerk to yourself and being like, oh man, I said the word like so many times. I hate, I hate myself for that. Just be like, oh, that's a very easy thing for me to try to get better at and be conscious about it. and put a sticky note on your desk or your computer that has the word like with an X through it. <laughs> and, and you'll find yourself incrementally getting better at these things as you just pick off one thing after another. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that's good advice. So kind of slowly rounding out the conversation, I am curious to, to know very big picture. Let's go like century from now. I'm talking about, let's say Holloway becomes the biggest company in this space and it, it's just blowing up. Can you paint the vision or the picture for me of what it looks like? And this doesn't have to be like in your in your plans. It could just be kind of from your brain, from just you know as you speak. But how big could Holloway get? And if it gets that big, what does it look like? And what impact does it have on the world? And how do people engage with it? Oh boy! So one of my favorite ideas around thinking about the future is. Uh... I recently heard this talk from Andy Bechtelsheim, who was the founder of Sun Microsystems. And he also put the first 100K check in Google. So he's done well for himself. Um, and he gave this talk and he talked about how there was this idea that he learned from a class on AI called the horizon effect, which is basically that there's just some point where you we try to forecast and think about the future so many steps forward that you just can't see beyond the horizon anymore. It's just impossible. There's too many variables to consider. And so when thinking about, you know, a hundred years from now, to me, I think is so far beyond the horizon. It's so hard to predict what that would be, but to, to what any extent that I, I can try to think about the future of what Holloway would be, I think that one really interesting point for us is can we become kind of like the Apple app store for books um, in that, we have built all the infrastructure to make publishing a book easy for an author, to make it easy for them to publish the first time, to make it easy for them to update their content if they find that there's an error or something that they want to change, or when they talk with all of their audience and fans that there's something that they've decided they want to adjust. Um, those are things we want to make very easy. We also want to make it easy for people to publish content and, and distribute it and get it out there, right? There's all kinds of tools for enabling an author to engage with an audience. One thing right now that's fascinating is that how many authors or, or thought leaders are creating all these websites with the same infrastructure, right? It's a website with an email capture and it's got kind of a blog thing with a WYSIWYG on it. And what they're trying to do is just build an audience that they can continue talking to and 
uh, as long as that audience feels like they're providing value, then they can continue to do that. Um, so one of the things with books is like, if you publish a book and a million people buy your book, you have no idea who they are, which is absolutely crazy to me. And, and most other companies, you have the concept of a customer and you have a CRM and you know who those customers are. But if you publish a biography, say, and once you publish it, you, you learn more about that person and you wanted to go send out a small incremental update to everyone who bought your biography, it's impossible. <laughs> and so we hope that in whether it's 10 years or 20 years that we've made it really easy for authors to build an audience of people who are excited about reading their work and, and reach those people and build their reach. I also get really excited about the idea of, you know, not all of the content has to be behind a paywall. I think that that's something that we can decide with authors is some authors may want to publish everything for free. Some authors may want to publish it for very cheap. So in this world where books, which represent well-researched, well-edited material, great knowledge, that when you go searching for stuff in Google, whether it's how to start a business or whether it's how to interview somewhere or how to be a better parent, that the stuff that shows up in books is starting to show up there in Google. And it's the place that people look for it. Now that all depends on the idea of Google continuing to exist in the way that it does today. And I'm not sure that the way that we search for information, you know, what, who's to say that, that Google will become and, and continue to be the dominant paradigm for how people look for stuff in 20 or 30 years? Who, I mean, we have no idea, right? The cool thing about the next 30 years, I'm sorry, the next 10 years, is that all of the sort of technological advancement that we've been privy to over the last 30 years all that, so everything from 1990 up to today, we're gonna to see just as much advancement in technology over the next 10 as we did in the last 30. And that's you know, how an exponential curve works. And if you picture an exponential growth curve, you know the part right where it starts to go up and really start to be almost like a vertical line? We're there, we're still at the bottom part where you wouldn't, be thrown in jail for mistaking the line as looking kind of linear. And so for as, as much of the, as much as the world has changed for the better and also for possibly the worse, and we don't really know, we didn't really foresee what would happen with social media. We all thought it was so cool 10 years ago and then suddenly it's now become the biggest vehicle for propaganda in the world and we don't know what to do about that. Over the next 10 years, it's gonna explode and there's gonna be more technology. We're gonna be able to fit more on smaller and smaller computers continually. And who knows what that's gonna change, but we hope that uh, one thing that will stay consistent over the next 100 years, one thing we asked ourselves when we started Holloway, what will be the same in 100 years? If human beings haven't been wiped out, <laughs> uh, we believe that people will still want to learn and they'll still want to read and they'll still want to consume information from people who have come before them. Could be new generation, every generation. And those people are gonna to wanna to learn from people who you know, showed up and they've already done the thing. And we think that reading is not going to go away. And so we're basically making a, a bet for the next 100 years that this internet thing isn't going away either. And people are going to want to read. And so we should embrace making sure that books, which represent the most well-researched information that people produce for each other, should be easy to get online and that people who are producing great knowledge should be able to make sure that the people who are looking for it can find it. That's a great answer. 
And it leads me to, I think, the most obvious question I can ask in that you are, you are allowing authors to, to do their thing and spread it on the internet. Um, you, you've mentioned reading and books many times on the podcast. I have to ask, what's your favorite book or your favorite couple of books? Oh, it's so hard. So hard to choose. I have so many. Um, let's see. One of the most useful books for my career personally that I found, um, I think I was in my, I had just finished college when I found this book called Mastery by Robert Greene. Robert Greene is more well known for having written a book called The 48 Laws of Power, which is super Machiavellian. <laughs> but uh, the mastery is just basically like, hey, there's this model for building a career that's been around for hundreds of years, and it's called an apprenticeship. And instead of spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on questionably valuable degrees, one other model for getting good at something is to find someone who's very, already very good, to find a master and study underneath them to work with them for years until you have absorbed enough knowledge to strike out on your own. I think Mastery is a really practical book that anyone, no matter where you are in your career, especially if you're thinking of switching careers or starting a new career, you should read Mastery and use it as your Bible and practically revisit it once every year. Uh, as far as fiction, what fiction have I really loved? I recently read a book called The... Uh, the Name of the Wind, which is a really fun piece of fantasy that I loved. Uh, let's see, well, I, too many, there's too many great books to choose from here. Another really fun one is uh, called The Art of Possibility by a uh, husband and wife couple, Rosamund and Benjamin Zander, I think. Uh, and The Art of Possibility is just kind of all these life lessons that this couple has learned. And they, they narrate the book together. Uh, Seth Godin said that he listens to parts of this book every month and uh, it was a real and it was a really fun read I definitely recommend that one I can continue going on and on about books there's just so many good things that have been written but I'll, I'll shut up <laughs> yeah for sure no I love it I love asking someone what their favorite book is when I know they love books because they have a similar answer it's like oh my gosh how can I how can I pick just one or two um, I, I am curious have you read the book the Enlightened CEO. No, I've not. So I've read a lot of those types of books for like founders and like CEO stuff. But I have to say, The Enlightened CEO, which is not something I've heard of before, before I picked it up from this uh, bookstore, has to be the best book on how to be a CEO I've ever read in my life. It's very just almost it's almost like a playbook to be a CEO, and it covers like obviously the functions, but also the inner work you have to do. Uh, like the, 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 you know, the self-awareness discipline and stuff like that. I'm getting a lot of value out of it. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. I just feel like no one's heard of it. So I'm trying to spread the word about it. Cool. I think I'd found it. This is, is the title. Does the cover have like the, the, the Illuminati pyramid? <laughs> on it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll take a look at it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I feel like time has zipped by uh, on this uh, because it's just talking about something that I, that I love so much, which is words. But do you need to kind of leave with my final question? Awesome. So you have been around the block. You've been in startups for a little bit. You're now building a hallway, which is, which is getting some traction and, and taking a big bet on something that I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to play out to your favor. But there's a lot of people that are listening that, 
they have an idea for a company or they have a vision or they see a problem and they don't really, they don't really know how to, how to solve the problem or get started into entrepreneurship. What advice would you have for people listening who want to get started with their own company, but don't necessarily know the first step on how to do that? So I think I'll respond with someone else's idea. I, for my whole life, I think I've devoured almost everything that Seth Godin's ever written. I think that while uh, his books are ostensibly self-help books, he's a, he, I just really like the way he thinks about marketing and business. And a lot of the way that he thinks about it is that business is about service. And if you want to start a company, what starting a company really is, is that there's a group of people that have a problem. And whether that problem is that they can't find healthy enough breakfast food or whether the problem is that they're trying to sleep better or whatever that thing is, it's finding a group of people and saying, hey, we as a company, this company that we're starting is going to exist to help you with that thing. And so it's finding an audience. So Mattermark, our audience for a long time was venture capitalists, my last company. At Holloway, our audience uh, that we're going to begin targeting now here is startup employees, people who work at companies, whether they're three people or about ready to go public or they work at Patagonia, private companies that are growing. We want to help those people build successful careers and successful businesses. So when you're just getting started, I think that oftentimes people think about the thing they want to build. You know, they've got something in their backyard or a website or an idea, this thing they put together and they're they're so in love with that thing that what they've forgotten is that building a company is all about finding an audience and saying, Hey audience, our company is going to be devoted to making stuff for you and then really listening to those people. So I, I love Patagonia as a company, not because of the vests that every single VC wears in the midtown uniform, but I love Patagonia because Patagonia has so clearly said, we're a company that makes products for people who are environmentally conscious and they do that from the clothing they make to the you know outdoor supply things that they make and then also they make food now i mean they make sustainably sourced salmon is one of their fastest growing parts of their business and a lot of people would look at a company like that and say what the hell they're making food and that would be an easy way to misunderstand their business. But when you look at it through the lens of Patagonia being a company that exists solely for the purpose of helping environmentally conscious people buy products without screwing up the environment, then you start to understand a lot more of their business moves and also understand why they're a company that's probably doing north of a billion dollars in revenue. Absolutely, that's great, great example and great advice. Well, if someone's listening and they want to learn more about Holloway or get in touch with you um, or just find you online, where can they where can they get in touch with you or your company on the internet? Yeah, so a few ways. You can go to holloway.com, H-O-L-L-O-W-A-Y.com, and we have a newsletter that we write every week called Good Work. All good work is is a four paragraphs every week on what it means to do good work. And then we have a collection of links of fun things that we found around the internet every week. You can sign up there. I write it uh, almost every week, but we have guest authors as well. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm SparksZilla, S-P-A-R-K-S-Z-I-L-L-A. And my direct messages are open and all that. I love to talk to people there. I've made a lot of good friends, strangers I've met on the internet. Uh, and you can also 
uh, shoot me an email. I'm just Andy at Holloway.com. All right, Andy, this was one of the top episodes for sure uh, in the forward thinking founder kind of collection. So thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Sure thing. Thanks for having me on.